Nez. Boom. They're like, I feel like you need some sort of cool theme song, and I want to call it the Funky Nez. The Funky Nez. I think, you know, you showing us the kind of world of Crazy Frog, I think the Funky Nez would go down a tree. Possibly. Possibly. It could start with, damn little lady. And that's as far as I'm going. <laughs> damn little lady. And it's like, F-U-N-K-Y-M-E-Z. Funky Mez. That's, that's the hook. Uh, that fits. I quite like that. I haven't been thinking about that for a good two hours. You've so. been thinking about that for a while. Sat there yeah, in, your, in, your little, in your little ivory loft conversion. Sat there going, what can I think of for a bit of Mez action? And that's what you come up with. And I like the fruits of your labor. So so we'll get that going. We'll get that going. We'll try yes. and do a Funky Mez single for charity. Because that's always a good thing. Well, you can pad out any old rubbish char- for charity, can't Charity you? starts at home, but... Okay. Do you need charity? Always. Okay, fair enough. Um, How you doing, pal? How you been this week? Not too bad. Not too bad. Up and down, you know. It's my week off. I'm chilling. Nice. Playing a lot of guitar. A lot of guitar. In fact, we're going to see if you can see on how chewed my middle finger is. Do you see that? Oh, yeah. So Very chewed. Um, Mez, Mez is showing me his uh, fretting hand, and I can see there's like a little, nice little blister that's come up, right? It's kind of raised on your middle finger. So you definitely have been, for, for you, who must have built up a lot of calluses, for you then to have that appear. You must be playing a lot of guitar. Oh, oh, a lot, a lot of guitar. But it's what it's what keeps me sane, you know. There's a lot of things that people do. I like playing guitar until my hands are basically bleeding. Um, always a fun activity, fun for all the family. <laughs> can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Don't want to go wrong and won't go wrong. That's the way I see it, kiddo. Gonna put it better myself, you know. You know. You know like your hat as well. What's, what's, what's your hat got on it for everyone who can't see? My hat is a Crash Bandicoot hat, and it has got Aku Aku, one of the, the, the good mask from from the game series. This week, I scored an absolute bargain. I bought two PlayStation 1s for £27. I am awaiting their arrival eagerly, um, and then I shall be buying some PlayStation 1 games. And then... Oh, lovely. And then... I'm going to slip on a few records that we're going to be talking about today as a bit of a nostalgic road trip into lockdown. You know what? That's like a really, really good segue. Yes. Into what our episode's going to be. There you I go, wanna, kid. I want to get into it right now. That'd be great. So we're going to do childhood albums. So, you know, our young little minds being exposed to music for the first time. That can be quite hard to kind of remember, like your very first memory of music or like the specifics but yeah we're gonna do that we're gonna see if our childhood albums have uh, stood the test of time what they mean to us now uh is it indicative of the music that we're into now and that we play ourselves um and yeah mez i mean you made it <clears throat> such a good point i mean i was obsessed with video games when i was younger so were you and i don't know whether you used to mute the telly when you used to play the games put on records we're probably talking now like 10 upwards, like teenage years. A um, classic time. So, yeah, when you just put on all these records, um, put on these albums and just play all these PS2 games and PlayStation games, Nintendo games. Obviously, when I was younger, you just listen to the music that's on the older, on the old video games. I remember completing Sonic when I was about six years old, and I've never been able to complete it again. It's, it's, a, it's a tall feat, that. I won't lie. 
the memory I have is my sister used to own uh, a Nintendo Sega Drive. No, yeah, a Sega Drive. He's, um, he's crossed two platforms there. I have. I like I've that. gone over Ninten- it. Don't don't sue me, Nintendo. Nin- um, yeah, but Nintendo Sega Drive. That's that's powerful. That's that powerful. is. That's that's. You I mean, a- Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Sega Mega Drive. Thank you, Marv. Anyway, um, she had a game called Echo the Dolphin. And to my knowledge, it is the most difficult game I have ever, ever played, childhood or since. It is so hard. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And there are people online. I don't know if you're aware of this, Marv. I'm sure you are. Speed runs of games. Yeah. I was was going to bring this up. I, I'm obsessed with people who speedrun games. I think it's it's insane that they you think a game can be completed as fast as possible and then like a new glitch or a new strategy comes out and all these people come around and help. Um there's a very famous one that I've watched recently where I think it was on Nintendo sixty four, the Mario Kart sixty four on there, and a guy was trying to do thirty two out of thirty two world records to hold them all. Um and he got to like thirty one of thirty two. And like, like, like it was a matter of like hours that he was going to do this, and then someone would just about beat him, and it would just be like good driving, or they'd find a new glitch, and then he was just about to, just about to get this record, but because he was one pixel off from the shortcut, he fell down, and it's like the precision yeah. they go through is just like it's, it's insane. It's it's what I would like to do when I analyze music if I could get to that finer detail, that that sort of finite, yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that blew my mind, so not only are people now speedrunning, have you ever heard of a franchise called Dark Souls? I've heard of it. I don't know of it. So I'm not going to give you the full backstory because that will be six podcasts down the line. Um, it essentially, you're, you're this character and you have to make the decision to either save the world or let it, let it die. Um, the world's been in this cycle of... It's died. It's been brought back to life for thousands of years. It's a very medieval sort of thing. Swords and shields and spells and bows and arrows and stuff. Uh, I love the series. I think it's insane. Uh, The thing that drew me in was how people described it as very, very difficult. Um, And it is. It takes everything to the the next possible realm. I mean, when when you think about playing a video game and like Street Fighter or something, you've got a big old health bar and you're like, Boffing away at you, mate. Um, Dark Souls ain't like that. The first boss is this massive knight, and one strike, and nearly all your health's gone. And that's the first wow. boss. Um, the thing that kind of made me think this is getting to extreme lengths now is watching a guy complete it uh, with no hits using a controller that has been completely taken apart and wired to bananas um that is not a lie that is an absolute fact uh basically all he did was he wired all the buttons to a certain banana so you press that banana you're gonna roll press that banana to go forward press that banana to like swing your sword or whatever and do you know what this dude did it like he he did it like i'm so how do you practice for that yeah, insane, but there's a little fact that I really want to share with you before we move off this tangent. On, one of the on. one of the um bosses in this in Dark Souls 3 is someone called um I 
I believe she's called the Dancer, Dancer of the Boreal Valley or something like that. Um, she's basically this massive, like, really, really awkward boss to fight. She's got two swords and she has multiple moves. But it's hard to gauge any of the boss's moves from this. You can learn their move sets, but nine times out of ten, you literally can only gauge it when you walk into the, like, arena. Um, and the reason why she's so awkward is because her moves have been apparently set to the time of 5-8. So because that's a time signature most people aren't used to, it's awkward because you don't know where the timing's going to fit in. And I love that. I love that the the sole reason why she's as difficult as she is is because it's set to an awkward time signature. It's come back to music, and I love that. I love that so much. that She's awful, and I've never beat her, but that's amazing. <laughs> In the video game. In the video game. In the video game. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. That you, they'd use music to do that. Yeah. More of a challenge. Um, yeah, there's like it's almost like the clickbait videos, isn't it? Like, I beat this game only by only pressing the A button, or yeah, by only pressing start, and even then, just being able to break a game and still win is it's mad. Mad. Uh, just dedicate dedicated to it. Yeah. That's but, all you I mean, can. All you can. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's that crass. Now. Yeah, childhood album. So I only did one. You did about 48,000, didn't you? did three. Something like that. Because we had a bit of a mix-up. Yeah. I think I must have said, let's do two. Let's do one from here, one from here. And then I just did one. Um, but, you know, I did a good one. I did a good one. So you can go first. I'll sandwich in the middle. I like that. I'll ask you some questions now. So I remember talking to you or <clears throat> said to a couple people that there, there's just some songs that have just been around me my whole life. And I've never... I've never known where they've come from. They've just existed. They're just there. Um, so I sat down and do my notes for this episode, and I was like, right. I wrote the sentence like, for me, there are songs that are in my consciousness and have just existed in my memory. I don't have any other memory to attach to them. They just exist. And then I couldn't think of a single one. I was like, I have no idea. I thought it was maybe this song, but I was like, let it be by the Beatles. Well, no, because I got that from my piano because that was teaching me that. So that's where that come from. And it was just it was just impossible. So it says, think of some bloody songs, you fool. And I think I've dispelled, dispelled that myth. So I can't think of any songs that have just been around me and I've never been able to pinpoint the source. James Merritt, can you? Yes, I've got a couple. I have a couple. Um, one I'm going to have to think about, but there are two that have just existed and I have no... It's almost, it's very strange. When I listen to these songs, it's almost like there's a memory at the back of my head, desperate to break out, but it just can't hit the surface. And I've sat and listened to these tunes over and over to try and gain some sort of context. One of them is Karma Chameleon by the Culture Club. Okay. Um, but strangely, never the intro. The intro is never evocative. But the rest of the song, the harmonica... Um, the vocal harmonies in the pre-chorus and the chorus, it's, it's all very evocative to me. Also, it's always to do with the sound and not necessarily the song. So that's one. Another one, uh, Believe by Cher. Ah, okay. That auto-tuned vocal, for some reason, again, it has the same effect on my head. And there's one more. Um, is it Must Be Talking to an Angel, is that what it's called? Heard it on the radio the other day on the way to work, and I was like, 
this is this is weird. It's like like I said, it's like my brain really wants to remember. It's like it's like when you've got a jigsaw and half of it's missing. So like I get this scene of being outside, it's dark, I'm stood next to a big building, and I've got the feeling that it's maybe a family party or something like that. It's it almost sounds like I'm I'm a bloody medium, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um I just thought you were describing a drunken night out when yeah. you're on the phone like Marv, it's dark. I'm next to a big building. Come pick me up. <laughs> but no, that's so that so those songs, like I said, they. I'm sure there's more. I'm absolutely sure there's more. But those songs, yeah. that's what it does to my head. It's almost like a your brain's giving you a teaser, and I've got to pay for the full subscription to get the rest of it. It's very yeah. strange. Very very weird. It is, and I I I know I have those feelings. I know that there are songs. Um, around me that I just can't pinpoint the source of, so I'm just gonna. I think all of next week I'm gonna really, really gonna think about it, and then maybe yep. I'll uh, tack it onto the next episode. But Mez, you take it away. Your first pick, please tell me your childhood album, and then tell us all about it. You know, maybe even make a kind of case for maybe why you could think it could be considered bad. You know, yep. maybe maybe you're you know think considered good. All of these things, you go away. And, and then we'll talk about our new Patreon. So go for it, buddy. Okay. So the first album I'm going to talk about today, and I'm going to hold it up to the camera, it is it is this one. It is Status Quo and Friends 40th Anniversary Souvenir. Now, this, I do believe, was my gateway into becoming a musician, a music appreciator, and a guitarist. I do firmly believe that. Um, this was a free gift. You cannot find it online anywhere, so it's probably worth about you know two pound fifty or something like that. Um, this was a free gift um, for the Daily Mirror. One was released on Saturday. It's a double double album, little flippy book there, Marv. Nice to see that. One nice was paper cardboard. Yeah, there you go. One was released on a Saturday, and the other was released on the Sunday Mirror. Now this is basically a compilation of live status quo songs, hits, bangers, um, with a mixture of other artists. So like as as the, the title suggests, status quo and friends. Now it's a f- so do you do you mean that they're status quo are performing live no. and someone else is playing with them, or do you mean that um other bands or artists are on this CD playing status quo songs. So what I'm saying is there are status quo songs played live by status quo intertwined with either studio versions or live versions of other bands playing their own songs. Okay. So I've got a big old rundown and this is quite fun. I've written them all down. I don't know if I'll read them all out. Um, The first one is Sweet Ballroom Blitz. What a banger. Love that. Now, this is interesting. This is where this comes into play. This is very cool. The next one is Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Now, this was my first exposure to Chuck Berry. First exposure. Okay. And it was released in 2005, this was. So what age would, would you have been at this point, 2005? 2005. What are we, 16 years ago? I would have been... Oh, my God. I've got to think about this. I would have been 11. Um, so I remember hearing it 
I remember hearing it. Um, my mum, Beer Mags, she played quite regularly, and I became obsessed from that age of about 11, 12. Okay. Um, so did she did she play it around the house? Yeah. Again, like, give us a... Did she play it around the house, and then this, this, this album turned up? Yes, I think so, um, because I remember specifically her giving me this album. I've got the other sleeve as well for a bit of a laugh. Oh, that's cool you kept that. Yeah, I've, I've still what's, got uh, what, what's what's eleven year old Mez? What's the world of eleven year old Mez at this point before the CD came into his life? Well, the world is school. I hated school. Every single second of it. I was just progressing into secondary, um, and I didn't realise, but I I would hate it quite a lot. Um, playing video games, being a misbehaving little scamp. Um, on your on your BMX yet? Yes, I believe I was. I believe I was riding nice. BMX at this point, quite possibly. What uh, what model did you have? What brand? I can't remember, but I remember it was a very dark, like flaky green color. I remember that. I also had a little Dennis the Menace bike before that as well, which is quite fun. Um, but I always thought it was. I always thought it was interesting because um, uh, another friend of mine who lived around the same area as me, um, he had a Dennis the Menace bike. And then he had a new one. And then all of a sudden, the following Christmas, I had a Dennis the Menace bike. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. But yes, so, interweave with other artists. Um, Gary Newman, Cars. I remember enjoying that quite a lot. Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire. Uh, Clapton, Snake Drive. Uh, one I've never heard of. Little Richard, Good Golly Miss Molly, First Exposure again. Um, a few others. Then we've got Deep Purple, Smoke on the Water, my first exposure ever to Deep Purple. And that shortly wow. became a big obsession as well. Um, yeah, I bet. Then we've got Tapau, uh, China in Your Hand. And then we've got Tom Jones, Knock on Wood. So, as I said. One, one status quo song. Then. No, I'm getting to it. Ah. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, I want to say about ten Quo songs, including the last two. So at the end of each CD, there's a, a medley for their upcoming album. So I think this was like some sort of marketing thing as well as a bit of a, remember this band? And that's obviously how I got into them. Um, what I love about this CD, or this double album, I only want to talk briefly about this, but is, so it was free with the newspaper. You didn't pay anything for it. Obviously, this was released as a market employee, and I imagine it worked in the, uh, in the Mirror's favour, because obviously they want to sell papers. Quo want to sell records. So it must have obviously been some sort of double-ended happiness there. But yeah, on the back, it has got Look Out for the brand new Quo album, which I also had, but it, I had other albums before this. So okay, okay. Um, yeah, um, I loved it. I'm amazed. I, I mean, I haven't played them for a little while, but I am amazed. I'd be amazed if it still works. The amount I used to listen to this um yeah i was obsessed with it i was also obsessed with the fact that on the front cover we've got two guitarists 
being Rick Parfit, Francis Rossi, stood in front of two white Marshall stacks. And being 11, I had never properly seen an amp. But when I had, it had always usually been a Marshall and it had been black. So for them to be white, it's a very exciting thing for a young Mez, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, there's a lot of content on there for free. Um, I think it could be considered not bad, but a bit like, oh, okay then, because obviously it's status quo, large in the 70s, lots of number one hits, and the only band to have a number one um, single since the 60s up to now in every decade. Oh, wow. Every decade. Very, very, very interesting, that. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to briefly touch on that because mum got it in the paper, played it. I became utterly obsessed with it. Yeah, the thing that the, the thing that maybe I consider bad about that album is that it's very heavily marketed as status quo yes. and friends. Yes. So for me... To then read the track listing where it's essentially like greatest rock hits, but you've just got a little bit more status quo. Yeah. Like, I guess there's like a misleading kind of uh, promotional thing there that maybe just status quo, like you said, had an album out and they just wanted to put their name on it. So they're benefiting from it more. Um, and the paper were just like, I don't really care, whatever. Just send out any old rubbish. It's fine. Put put smoke on the wall. That's all good. Put some Clapton song, whatever. So it is amazing that like that was your first, that was your first exposure to status quo, and then you just really heavily got involved and loved them. But I guess as a status quo album, because I would view that as a status quo album based on the artwork, yeah, the title yeah. alone. It's not not the best. I not the best status quo album. Could you consider that the worst status quo album that they've ever put out? Potentially, yeah. Um, worse than a, worse than a quo stick? No, nothing's worse than a quo stick. <laughs> We're gonna have to do a whole episode on that. Um, no, nothing. Nothing <laughs> is worse than that. Um, and there are millions of reasons why that we won't go into right now. No, I know exactly what you're saying. It does seem very uh, slapdash, sort of. Yeah, that do check that out. Um, but to 11, 12-year-old Mez, it was not. This this little double CD was Mez's life um, to the point where I would openly skip every track that wasn't a Quo song. Wow. I genuinely, I was I was totally obsessed. Um, where, where would you listen to this? Uh, well, we'll get on to that. Because as wow. I said, this is, this is a little, exactly. little taster into the intro. So what I might you've you've you give me the appetizer, mess, yep. right? I've I've lapped it up. Yeah, it's been nice. It's gone down the gullet, all nice and fine. Oh yes, but I'm I'm still hungry. I'm hungry. Oh, it's coming. I want boy. the so... I want the main course. <laughs> I want the main course, baby. So the reason I mentioned that is because it was my first exposure. Really, um, it was my first obsession with a band, an obsession that only grew with time. Um, I disregarded. Every other band, artist, everyone that wasn't status quo. That is the level we are talking of obsession here. Um, and the album I want to talk about is another compilation. It's Excess All Areas, The Greatest Hits, um, which um, was released the year before. Um, it was a bit of a, oh, you like that, do you, son? Have a little go on that. Get your gnashers around that. Another compilation, but this time purely 
status quo hits. It is banger after banger. If you like status quo, but you don't want to delve deep for the hits, buy this album. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you don't need any other album. It goes from the very beginning to up to, well, it's just smash hits, to be honest with you. I want a 12-year-old Mez doing the TV advertisement for that. Oh, if you oh want we've got some stories. Status quo hits. If you want a status quo hits without any of that faff and filler, then go for this album, Excess Warriors. <laughs> yeah, but I got smoke. <laughs> I can see it now. Released 2004. Um, it was released on Universal Music TV, um, was the label okay. listed, interestingly. Um, it was the album that turned me into a full-on music obsessive. But at this time, I was still just listening. Well, I wasn't just listening. I had a tennis racket, and I was pretending that I was in status quo. Nice. nice. That, that, was, that was the level that we're at here. Um, it's it's another double CD album it's 2 hours 36 minutes long that's that's long that's a lot of content that's a big big commitment to the quote it really is Um, unfortunately right this minute I cannot locate my physical copy but I do know it is in a terribly sorry state because all I would do is just get out of the packaging and listen to it over and over and over again it I don't know. It was just exciting. Sitting down, reading the little booklet that came with the CD whilst the CD was mm. on, having it on whilst I was playing on my play- PlayStation 1. Um, yeah, it, it was it was my childhood in a lot of ways. Um, so looking at it objectively, it came from Quo, a classic band, as I've mentioned, massive in the 70s, sold over 118 million units since 1968. That's good. That's a big chunk. That is a big old number. Um, I think the reason this was released, to be honest, I think maybe there was some form of dwindling um, interest from a different generation in the band. Um, as we've said before, when 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 did classic rock really exist? Like, obviously, the music's always been there, but when did we yeah. start classing it as classic rock? I... I always have like 2005 to 2007 that those couple of years I just rem- for me that's my uh pinpoint of where I would say classic rock started okay but I don't know if that's just from the marketing sense from the from when it started to become like classic rock festivals and like back yeah. to the 90s or like all these kind of things um I would like to know though if that would like where that phrase was coined maybe who it was referring to but when i think of that time of classic rock i'm thinking maiden yeah i'm thinking maiden metallica maybe haven't got there yet acdc death acdc exactly you could argue that um death magnetic maybe was the start of their classic rock period yeah yeah i'll give you that yeah and that was around that time in 2008 i think um yeah carry on miss that's probably what it is right classic rock probably came in and then it was like, right, let's, or it was a couple of years before, but like, okay, dwindling down a little bit, new kind of age. We've we've got new metal that's starting to die out Just slightly started, at this yeah. point. Um, and rap rock and all these things. So let's kind of just carve a little niche for ourselves. They know, I mean, they're already well established. So oh, yeah, absolutely. Just put, out a hit, put out a hit, then put out another album and then pick up some new fans along the way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it's um yeah 2004 i mean i imagine it to be a very very weird time for bands like status quo um who have nothing to prove um they don't you know they don't need the money they've written and released their best ever albums um but they still have a like a, like an in, not not an yeah let's let's call it what it is they still have an enormous very very loyal fan base it exists to this day um i would count myself as part of it um i wouldn't argue they're the best band in the world they have a very good chemistry they have a very good live show and they they know how to make fans happy well they did until they decided to release two albums which are basically acoustic versions of their best ever songs but i digress um yeah so <laughs> you're, you're never gonna let that go no i'm you're not gonna, I, I'm, I'm absolutely the, the, not the, the episode that that will be on will be uh the own bat like the the, the own artists reimagining of their songs yeah. and i already know acoustic will probably be done and there's probably a couple of others in my head that I know will probably get talked about. But oh, yeah. We will do that episode soon. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will. We have to. Uh, as much as I'd rather die than listen to it. Um, I think, I think we've, as I've always said, you should listen to everything. You should try and get inspiration from everything. But yes, um, every song is a banger. Um, this album's usually rated quite highly um, for that for that reason every every song's a banger um but it was the what the one of if not the very first time i ever experienced music hitting me and connecting with me um which is very special for me it's very very revered as we discussed last week i i have a very deep emotional connection with with some music um and it's it's weird the places it comes from but a lot of it i do think is childhood Hearing certain chord changes, hearing certain voice leading within the chord changes, I think I think it is what tends to sort of strike the uh, the feelings in me. Um, I mean, we all know status quo aren't exactly technical masterminds. It's basically just well written pop songs in in a rock and roll twelve bar setting, isn't it? Essentially, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's probably the reason why I like pop music as much as I do. Um, or the reason why I like Motown as much as I do is it's, it's a slightly different universe, but it's still got some of the same main sort of, you know what I'm saying? It was the backing track to my school years. Um, my secondary school years. I even, this is hilarious. I even wrote all of my favorite songs on my school planner. We had, we were given little planners, little booklets, little A5 size booklets. Yeah. And I wrote every one of my favorite songs in a new year. When we get a new one, I just ruin it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I do that and display it with pride, much like a 1970s teenage girl. Um, and to, what, are the, what, are the songs, what are the songs we're seeing on this planet then? Oh, oh, come on, Marv. You cut all of them. Um, down, down, Big Fat Mama, Don't Waste My Time. Don't Waste My Time was always a huge favourite of mine. Uh, Mystery Song, that's a great tune. Hold You Back. Um, and one that's not on there, actually, I might I might be lying there. I think it is on there. Let's have a have a little look-o. 
I like burning bridges as well. But this led to me seeing them multiple times live. I think I saw them about four or five times in the end. I wouldn't mind seeing them just once more. Sadly, we no longer have Rick Parfit, um, who died back in 2014. Very sad. Um, and it's, yeah, I saw them multiple times. It solidified my love for music. And it made me realize what I wanted to do with my life. Um, it also led to nonstop bullying um, for wearing the T-shirts um, for on non-uniform days and stuff. But weirdly, it also gave me a gateway to discovering a lot of other older bands. So as much as that Daily Mirror double CD, most people will probably think, ah, that's just throwaway, don't you think about that? It changed my life. It changed my life, and I, I, I'm, do you know, I'm happy to admit that. Um, I actually couldn't find a lot of information on this album on online at all, which tells me it literally was just a case of let's get all their biggest hits, chuck them together. It's 2004. Get out the door. If it makes a bit, great. If it doesn't, well, they're quo. They'll probably sell anyway. Um, there's a few ratings, loads of like track listing pages. You can still buy it, which I'm very impressed with. Um, but there's no real solid reason as to why it might exist, um, other than, as we've mentioned, reviving an old band. Um, which I've got a question for go you. Go on, kid. Do you think this is the best, greatest hits that they've released? See, that's an interesting one, because I actually think, if you give Old Mez a second, I actually think... I don't believe it. Is that is that it? Is that what I'm after? It is. I've got another compilation right here. <laughs> that is a status quo. For, was it called Forty Eight Pictures of Hits? No, nope. Pictures. Forty Years of Hits. Okay, that's close enough. Whatever. Just and that was released. That was released, Marv. Four years after the one we're now talking about. Wow. Okay. So. A, compilation released four years after another compilation of all the same songs looking at it well i was gonna say that leads on to my other question of um did they add if they did any more greatest hits after this did they add any more of their newer songs onto it did they like did they get more hits because like you said if they've had a number one in each decade and this is only in the noughties technically we're missing at least one aren't we so are these are these um, track lists basically the same? So there is a couple here that aren't on there. A couple, um, more from like their weird eighties nineties period of we're still a band. Hi, um, here's a synth. Are you in the army? It, you should be. And here's why. Do you like? Dun, 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 do you dun, like dun, dun, margarita? Dun, dun, dun. Oh man, I believe in the army now is on that. On both of them, actually. It is. I'm staring at our disc two, track 16. Yeah, let's have a look on this one. Do, 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 do. Come on, it's got to be on Please here. stand by. Please stand by. It's got to be in here. It's got to be. Let's... I don't think it's on here, you know. Do you know what is on here, though? What's that? Their Christmas song. Oh. Were you not aware <laughs> of this status quo did a Christmas song? No. That's your listening for this week. It's called It's Christmas Time. Ah. And you're going to bloody love it because do you know what? Is it? Go on. Do you know what? I bloody loved it when it came out and I still bloody do. So have that.
<laughs> Ain't nothing gonna dampen my love for this. Nope. I'm sad that all around my hat's not any of this. Crushing, isn't it? And that is a that is a that is a great song within our little friendship group. Oh mate. We've had many when funny I, videos. When I hear that eight count that. one, two, one. I can already see Robbie Castle getting out of his seat, trying to do the vocal harmony and succeeding. <laughs> While drinking a pint off the breaker. Off the breaker. Oh. Off the breaker. Just finally about this album. The whole album rounds off with something called the Anniversary Waltz. I'm sure you've seen it on the track list in Marv. I am. Part one. Yes. So... Back in the 90s, Quo did have a very weird period. Um, They released an album called Famous in the Last Century. I've got the DVD around here somewhere. It's a live show of them. They recorded a whole album of like their classic songs like these bands do and like their favorites that they grew up listening to. Uh, But they quote quote it up, if you see what I mean. Um, It's an interesting experience. Uh, I haven't listened to it for a good while. But it was during a time where they basically like had this manager that was trying to take him in a different direction. Uh, they hated it. And this manager's plan was like, no, we got to keep making money, keep making money, keep making money. Um, so they, it was a contractual obligation. They recorded this album and it's not looked back on, looked back on fondly. Um, and basically a taster, the anniversary waltz, is included in it and it's a medley um and it's melded together it's kind of weird i don't enjoy it that much because i know the context and the backstory um yeah again it it, it i suppose it rounds off the album nicely because it's like here's all of our hits and then here's some that influenced us i suppose you could look at it in a way um okay okay does it have so does it have songs that we've already heard? If you were to listen to this album from start to finish, it, does it contain songs that are already on this album already? No, it's it's songs they that obviously influenced them. In fact, I I oh, was all covers. Yes, it's all. Sorry, I should have mentioned ah, that. It's okay. all covers. I was listening. I, I everybody listeners, I was listening. Don't believe you. All right, I wasn't. I wasn't looking at my notes. I wasn't checking my recording. I did listen to everything that is it James is it Me- Merritt? Mez, give me Mez. Mez, okay. So we've whatever this guy's called. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've got things like um, old time rock and roll, um, which you obviously know. I hope. I I, I don't I don't know that one. You do. But I can see so old time rock and roll on the track list. Off the shelf. I sit and listen to him by myself. Today's music ain't got the same soul. I like that old time rock and roll. That one, you you know it. I I don't know it, but I want to hear a version of you doing it now. I want you to record one now. <laughs> You've just heard it. We'll play it next week at the end. You've just heard it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Premiere here. Oh, there, there are so many weird tunes that shouldn't exist on there, but they do. But yes, that's another facet of status quo entirely. But yes, this album turned me into a full-blown music obsessive. Um, it, even to the point where, you know how you got with the Beatles, you were like, I need to know everything. I must know every minute detail about everything about them. That's how I got with status quo. Um, I just had to know everything. I had to know every fact. The reason why this guitar is green and that one's red 
the reason why they changed yeah. drummers in 19 whatever i had to know everything and i i used the internet to uh, that was at my disposal at the time and i just kept looking all the time all the time if i wasn't listening to it if i wasn't at school if i wasn't playing ps1 i was on the internet looking for status quo facts you were really that that obsessed yep. and gross yep wow man, that's a good commitment i mean uh, I would like to think everyone's got a band that they've done that to, you know? Mine was definitely the Beatles. I think Chili Peppers too. I just got obsessed with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I actually, I'll ask you some questions, really, I think, from that. Go so, on, my lad. Obviously now, status quo is still, I would say, um, a staple of your music listening the fact that you still listen to that genre of rock. Yeah. It's not something you necessarily grown out of either. No. Um, so you've already kind of said about like musically, but like how much of your childhood music tastes shape the music you listen to now? So how did Status Quo shape the music you listen to now? Like what, what did it branch out to and how does it sit now in your adult music life? So it's really nice to dip back into. It's really nice to dip back into... Um, Something I've done lately, actually, obviously, all this time we've had in lockdown is, um, so for example, the solo in Don't Waste My Time, it's a very, very big favorite quote track of mine. Um, and I remember listening to it and going, but it's not like super fast. Why can't I pick it up? Now I, I just sit down and I'm like, yeah, got it. I love doing that. I loved the whole, couldn't do this 10 years ago. Can do it now. Um, but also, I mean, for a long time, for a long, long time, no band existed. I disregarded everything, everything in music, even the stuff I had heard before, for this band. I couldn't care less who they were, what they did, what they had to offer. It was just status quo or nothing, you know what I mean? Um, and I, 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 I don't really know, I don't... I think I was judged at school for it, but I didn't really, this is going to sound really sad and love me all. I didn't have many friends at school. Um, I had people I hung out with and I had people I knew, but to the, to the degree when, like when I went to college, when I went to uni and formed like lifelong bonds and friendships, um, that really didn't exist for me for a long time. So taking that and hating school i i suppose you could kind of see it as i went in on myself and kind of well i don't care that these people don't like that i'm going to enjoy it which is where i think a lot of my sort of attitude towards guilty pleasures comes from um why should you feel guilty you know what i mean i've made that point but wow you you've led me on right to my next my next question at what age do you think the concept of guilty pleasure starts to kind of establish itself you know, because when I'm, when my pick, it wasn't a guilty pleasure. I was 10 when it came out. Um, but May, I remember in secondary school being embarrassed to say I like certain bands because I was worried what people thought. I thought well, there's a guilty pleasure or, well, I can't like that. I think even, even until up to like first year of uni, where I'm like 23, 24 years old, where I'm like, I remember, I remember we, we were learning Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. And I felt weird. I felt a little bit like, oh, this is like, oh, this is cheesy, easy pop. Like, what am I doing playing this? This is not, I don't want to do this. This is not part of my fabric. And I felt that guilty pleasure kind of vibe. But 
I, I don't have that now. I don't know why it's established. It, it's it's got to be from from other people. Um, I I would maybe say mine came about twelve years old to about twenty four. So I reckon I had a good twelve years of the 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 concept of the guilty pleasures being established in my life. Like what what age do you think that concept starts to establish itself? And when did yours stop? When did your guilty pleasure phase stop, <laughs> if at all? So I kind of think. Um... Despite my last statement where I've never really cared, I haven't really ever cared. It's never made an impact. I remember at school, um, I really fancied someone who was into Paramore. So I went on Scuzz and Kerrang, and every time Paramore came on, I gave it a chance. And I actually fell in love with it. I love Paramore. I think it's great. Um, thanks for that, wherever you may be now. Um, <laughs> but I still, I was never drawn in to like, the lo- the like pop of the time if you like none of it ever appealed to me and i kind of saw it as i see pop now where it's like well it's not marketed to me um my generation don't really i i, I know we do listen to that but in terms of trends and what's new what's popular now it's it's not the bubblegum pop of the of the noughties anymore um and it, it as we know music morphs and changes anyway but I re- I have a vivid memory of when the Inbetweeners came out and my parents always had control of the television so I could never ever watch it when it was televised um and I I remember catching the tail end of an episode going into school the next day and hearing someone talk about it so I joined the conversation like yeah yeah wasn't that funny and they shot me down in flames completely um because I was, I was merit. I wasn't cool. I wasn't hip to be seen with. This is getting really deep. Um, <laughs> don't worry no, about this it. Is, don't this, worry about it. This is the whole point. The, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is actually true. So I think it kind of forced me further into that. Well, why should I give a shit what they think if they don't even hmm. want my opinion as part of the conversation? So I just, I just carried on. But there still was an element, even even up to the cover band stuff. Most of the reason why I like a lot of the stuff we have spoken about is because to begin with, I was like, oh, bloody hell, not that. But I actually gave it a chance because I was like, well, Marv seems like a really cool guy. And these guys are, these guys are great. Like, they're good musicians. And I, How duped were yeah, you? Yeah, eh? bloody hell. <laughs> Absolutely lampooned into that, I was. Um, no, and I gave it a chance and I discovered I liked it. So now... I I don't know. I'd say the peer pressure thing's always kind of been there um, for the guilty pleasure type type deal. Um, but I've really grown out of it in the last sort of two, three years, I think, where it's like, oh, oh that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? And I'll challenge that with why. Well, yeah. well, because it's, it's this. So, and and people don't think about it. The Sex Pistols were a manufactured pop group. I'm telling you that now. People laugh at you when you say that. It's factual. They it's were true, a manufactured pop group. Oh, but punk and ah uh, to the system and uh, up there's and all this and that. It was a manufactured pop group. Say what you want. And anyway, at the end of the day, if you take all of this away, if you take the context out completely, it's words and chords. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Who cares i remember at college when i was in my first band my first proper band it was a metal band and we had something called beatles week which a friend of mine is still scarred by 
they still were like, oh, no, not the Beatles, because we were basically forced to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm gutted that to be, I'm gutted that that's the case. Um, they should have done it differently, but I, I'd never change a thing about my music education anyway, because it brought me to where I am now. But I never had that feeling. I never had that feeling of, oh, bloody hell, the Beatles. I'd never jumped into the Beatles properly. So for me, that was that was an education. And yeah, that's where it started with the Beatles. You know what I mean? That's that's, And that's where I think your thought process should be. It shouldn't be, oh, are, are, are the lads going to like this? Oh, is this in NME this week? Listen to me, bloody dinosaur NME. Um, <laughs> is this in the charts? Is this charting? Is this on the latest TikTok video? I don't think you should care about any of that. You should listen to it and go, do I like this? And if you do, great. And if you don't, also great. I believe one thing we should all do is listen to one random song a day. We might end up hearing a lot of songs we don't like, but we probably end up hearing a lot more that we do. Um, anyway, preachy mission statement aside, that's my answer. Yes, it has existed, but it kind of it kind of has and hasn't. I've had a very fluid relationship with that sort of mindset. I think maybe it's a thing just to maybe ask our friends and ask people and go, "Hey, do you do you have any like guilty pleasure songs?" And then see what they say. Or guilty pleasure yeah, artists. Yeah, I think maybe it's quite it's quite wide, isn't it? Because you can have guilty pleasure songs, artists, bands, albums, and all these things. Yeah, of course. Uh, last question before I go into mine: Did your parents ever prevent you from listening to certain artists or types of music, and why? So my one was Eminem, which I think was quite <laughs> widespread yeah. um, when he came out. I think a lot of people were like. Don't let your kids listen to him. So the Slim Shady LP and the Marshall Mathers LP, which is about 99, 2000 of them. You know, I'm 10 years old at this point, last year primary school. So like now I totally get it. I totally get the reason why. Um, but I also would, wouldn't want my future 10-year-old child to be listening to Eminem at that age. I think that would be maybe a bit inappropriate. But then you could also argue the point of, well, I knew what Golden Brown by the Stranglers was. And that was about drugs. You know, you could kind of go on and on and on and extrapolate yeah. and extrapolate. But was there any music they, that your parents stopped you from listening to? It, and why? Exactly the same as you, Eminem. Uh, oh, nice. My pick is Eiffel 65 Europop. Now, this came out November 22nd, 1999. Now, I'm, I would assume that most people are aware of the big hit song Blue, Dabba D. Oh, yes. Um, big old tune, big old massive tune. Now, there's a really, really good Vice documentary about the making of this song. Um, I'll put it down in the links. It is very fascinating. I want to see that, great. actually, yeah. It talks about how Eiffel 65 came to be, um, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I'll talk more about kind of uh, me around that time. So 1999, November 22nd, I would have been 10. I would have been in year six, which is primary school. It's the last year of primary school. Um so when I think of, of uh, primary school, or especially around that time, like 94 to 2000, so I remember my life being football, sweets, playing in the bushy base at Cloverfield Close, what up to Dave Lindop and Mikey Lindop, eating turkey dinosaurs. Nice. Wrestling. Yes. Pokemon. Yes. Now, wrestling and Pokemon were my life. They were my life. WCW Nitro after the Cartoon Network program ended. Amazing. And then you get onto WWF later on. And video games as well. Oh my lord, the vi- the video games that ran my life. Like I said, I was just obsessed. Um, you know, um, 
with my sister being in a wheelchair and needing a lot of help when she was younger, um, I just kind of was left to my own devices. Um, obviously, I was safe and secure, but you know, if I could be just sequestered in front of the TV with a video game and my mum's like, cool, he's chilling, he's doing what he needs to do, then I'm all good for that. So I completed a lot of games, got into a lot of video games. Um, I had quite a lot of consoles, actually. I had PlayStation, I had Nintendo 64. I remember having a Game Boy and a Game Boy Color. Um, <clears throat> I didn't have a, a Master System. I remember my friend Brad Hector had a Master System. And I think that's where you could play Rambo. And similar to the game you said about Dark Souls, the thing with Rambo is it was like a bird's eye uh, view. But if you got shot once, you died. No like saves, early Grand Theft Auto, yeah. Yeah, and it was just, that was a hard game. Uh, and terminate and things like that so um you want to chat about some wrestling quick mess favorite wrestler for me i really liked al snow but only because his birthday was the same uh day as mine as a wrestler he didn't seem that great <laughs> wasn't the biggest cards but i mean um now i mean I've, I've been going watching the wrestling buyers channel and getting back not back into like watching wrestling but like looking back at the attitude era um or the Monday Night Wars, so that kind of era where I was that young. Um, don't know. I'm, I'm Aust- Stone Cold Steve Austin. Got to be that's mine. The Rock. He's mine. Stone Rise Cold. That. I really like. I really like Kane when he first came out. I don't like the way they they you know when they unmasked Kane afterwards. I think it really just degraded his character. It, it, yeah. Undertaker. Woo. Um, favorite wrestler, Mes? What you say? It's gonna be. And the second one I mentioned is kind of a bit of a weird one because I wasn't around to watch him when he was about. But number one for me has got to be Stone Cold. And I'm actually going to mention another one as well because I I absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. So Stone Cold, Andre the Giant. Yeah. I watched a documentary on him. What a mental life. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, he was enormous... And that was due to a uh, growing deficiency um, in his body, which because of when he was born, he couldn't be treated for it. So sadly, he passed away way too young. French, French guy, very much known as a gentle giant. And the last one I'm going to mention is Eddie Guerrero. I adored Eddie Guerrero. I adored that man. And um, great. And I hated John Bradshaw Layfield as a coincidence. (laughs) But yes, that's my three. Stone Cold, Andre the Giant, and Eddie Guerrero. I like that. I like that. And my favorite wrestling video game was WCW NWO World Tour. Nice. Now, I don't think I had it. No, I did have World Tour, sorry. I'm thinking of Revenge. Revenge was great. Um, But those those two WCW NWO games, just perfect. The, The way they handled... Um, the, the career modes, everything about it was just great. Um, I do remember liking SmackDown, the early SmackDown games on the PS1, um, and some of the WWE games on Nintendo, like WrestleMania 2000 and No Mercy. They were amazing as well because they were the same template. Now, you grew up on WWF Attitude, is that right? I grew up on WWF Warzone on the PlayStation the 1, one yeah. which had awful handling and is still one of the most difficult wrestling games to feat. But it is um, it is now a cult classic. People love it. Um, and I shall be buying it once my PlayStation 1s turn up. Um, just nice. to relive that frustration. Um, 
And the <laughs> uh, the other one that I remember, well, I remember a couple fondly. Um, Smackdown, Here Comes the Pain. I remember that. That's That was my first exposure to Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. And all, I think that's widely regarded as like the best video game of all time, it, one of the best insane, wrestling games. Of all insanely time. good. So you know, essentially, that's my that's my life at ten. You know, eating turkey dinosaurs, wrestling, Pokemon, dicking around, football, sweets, all the all the good stuff. So, really, the only music I concerned, like the only music I consumed, really, were like the popular pop songs of the time. So. Um, they were always the jokey one hit one it was like the Mamba number fives or Barbie girl um, just things like that that were on the telly or on the radio I didn't go searching for music at that point in my life Um, I would get CDs or cassette singles for birthdays and Christmases I remember getting the Men in Black CD single nice and I remember playing that in drives with my dad and I'd play the radio edit and then I'd play the instrumental always and then you try and sing along try and rap along yeah great I remember Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men. I got that on cassette. Wow. Seems really strange now. But those are the kind of songs that, you know, I was getting connected to. A consumable oddity that was just there for my pleasure. Um, So, you know, um, iPhone 65, it just kind of popped into my lap. I remember picking up either a service station or a garden center. Now, I only say that because I remember that my... Nanny Betty was there. She is my dad's mother. She's having along with us. And I just remember her there. So usually we would go to a garden center. So it's one of those two. Apparently they're, they're the same in my head. So I was 10 years old. I felt younger. When I when I recalled the memory, I thought I was about seven or eight, but I was actually 10. Um, they were popping at the time. iPhone 65 were popping at the time. Blue was big hit. Um, I remember watching them do it on top of the pops in my sister's room and i also remember move your body which i think hit number three that was another big hit for them um they're very very big in italy which i think is where they originate from it's the first album i ever owned this was and i say pay for it with my own money but it's that money that it's like here's a tenner for you Go <laughs> yeah all that stuff so i'm still gonna do that so it's a big deal looking back you know that was like that was a turning point definitely my musical journey was this album like investing in a band for more than just one song or like to listen to the instrumental again. And I looked at all of the bands that I got into and albums that I bought when I was in secondary school and I just started. This is like a year later. And to go from Eiffel 65 Europop to $3 Bill by Limp Biscuit, which would have also included Significant Other by Limp Biscuit, Infest by Papa Roach, Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park, and Come Clean by Puddle of Mud, to go from dance pop to these uh new metal um i don't know post grunge bands quite a job that's a big change from 10 to 11 quite yeah, a jump, big yeah. change very very big so i i think i thank europop for that you know um let's have a look then so this album well let's talk about blue first so um yes the vice documentary is very very good i would um i would go watch it I'll link it below. Um, basically, it is a corporation called Bliss Co. So they, what they did is they specifically just did dance tracks. They would put them on these compilations. And then if the songs got big enough and got big radio play, they would then form a band, band around the song and they'd go play it live. So this happened to Blue. Interesting. Now, Blue had, okay. 
Blue had like uh, I think two or three different mixes or different releases, and they flopped. And the one that we know now is I think like the the, the third, maybe the fourth uh, mix of it. So it's not the original. This isn't the original version. The vocal is the same. Uh, the same audio. It's the same vocal on, across all versions. Bearing in mind the first version is just very. Um, I think it's very one note like. So what we're hearing here, and it's not auto tune either. So across a lot of this album, there's a lot of auto tune, but it's actually harmonizer. So what they did is they share by uh, believe by share came out, which you mentioned earlier, and they wanted to recreate that, but they didn't know how to. They didn't know how to actually do auto tune. So the vocals on the chorus of blue right is basically the piano arpeggio and he's played that in to manipulate the voice so that is why it has a i to me has like a unique um auto-tune sound to it okay okay especially compared especially with the guy's voice um who i believe is called jeffrey j is that his name i want to get his name right jeffrey j yeah see i know what i'm doing um yeah i think he's got quite a unique voice um and that works in blues favor because the second you hear it you go yeah it's quite nasally cuts through a lot um so yes um the keyboardist maurizio labina he was in one studio gabri ponti was in another studio and he's heard maurizio playing this piano riff he's playing the the opening chords right so he said in in these studios it didn't have very good soundproofing so you'd hear something and then he basically walked over and went I'm going to make a song out of that. And in two hours, they made a tune. Why? They wrote blue. They made blue. So it was that quick. It took them two hours. And the rest, I guess, in Eiffel 65's history is history. Um, the Jeffrey J wrote three different versions of the lyrics. And he said one was normal, one was so-so, and one was the freaked out version. The freaked out version is the one you hear. And he says it's quite funny that... Um, Wherever you go in the world, everyone has a different interpretation to what the word blue means. Now, in England, being blue means being sad, doesn't it? Yes. Um, I wish I could tell you the other interpretations in different countries, but I can't remember because I didn't do any notes. But basically, everyone would come up to him and, and say, like, why, why are you saying this? Why are you saying that? He's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. He just wanted to do a freaked out, weird version of this song. Um, it's funny that that's the freaked out version. I'd like to hear the two other versions of the lyrics. It'd be quite interesting. Um, there's a really nice quote here from the keyboard player. Um, the producer as well, Gabri Ponte, when he started working at Blisco as a production person, he didn't even know where middle C was on the keyboard. Actually, he didn't even know right. what note what the note C was on a keyboard. Um, but I guess his strengths weren't strengths weren't there. You know, it was in, in the production and DJ. So the quote from the, the keyboardist, the first time when I met music was when I was five years old. So for me, music was always part of my life. But at that time, of course, I didn't think about music as a job. I was only, it was only a hobby, like a sport. I played soccer and I played piano, always playing. And I think that last sentence, always playing. And I think you can connect to that yeah. too. Like Just always doing something, being curious about how things worked, why things worked. Always want to be a part of something. You know, when I was playing piano at eight and then picking up songs by ear, like just the fascination of knowing that I could replicate the same thing I was hearing. That weird click in your brain. You're like, well, wait a minute. I've got the same sound here and I just played the note and it, that's the same note I'm, that this thing's doing. 
wait, this is that's attainable. You can do that. Yeah. This isn't just something made by genius gods. So I think that was really the true spark. That was like the true spark, you know. Um, so this album, you know, there's a collection of songs. I still find it enjoyable. I still find them very, very enjoyable. Um, they keep my musical brain engaged. I can still bump blue even after the, the massive overplayedness of it. Um, overplayedness is now a new word that I've just coined. But yeah, there's still things in the music that um, engage my brain. And it's not just formulaic three chord pop, you know. Um, the opener on Spotify is Too Much of Heaven. But I remember on my CD copy, it's Living in a Bubble. Um, but Too Much of Heaven is some like really satisfying piano arpeggios. I really like the fact that the verse stays on one chord and it lives in that space. It's almost a bit uh, strange to hear just a verse in one kind of uh, one key or one chord. Uh, that's usually, you know, if we think about something like that, Rage Against the Machine, you know, staying in one yeah. key or one chord, just jamming on like a riff kind of bass um, progression. But to hear it in a, a, a dance song, I don't know. I just found that really, you know, cool. really effective. You know, I, I, I listened to this because obviously we all know Blue. Um, I found Blue to be very, very depressing. Um, the not, not in a like, oh, this is so bad, it's depressing, but like, uh, this is actually quite a if you take it from a certain standpoint, if you take it as you said, from the meaning, the interpretation of the word blue, that I'm feeling blue from the UK. It's actually really quite sad because if you take it from that sort of standpoint, the lyrics are basically saying in his life, everything's miserable um, and everything's, everything's blue. Um, as a side note, yes, I listened to this album. I did skip some of the remixes. I won't lie, but I listened to every single song in one form or another. I'm really impressed by the variants on this. Um, mm. A lot of people lump it in the same sort of um, uh, the same sort of thing as our fable, Crazy Frog, um, but I I don't at all. I think this is a standout, standalone piece of work. Like I'm, and for you to say about that that Vice documentary, um, where they kind of just chucked a couple of mixes together and then built a band around that, and then they go and perform it if it got big. Yeah. I'm, I, it's really impressive, actually, to think of it like that. Um, there were certain things on it that I wouldn't necessarily go to and choose to listen to. But, yeah, the variants, like I said, I was quite shocked. And songs stuck in my head. Too Much of Heaven I really liked. Um, Living yeah. in a Bubble, that's cool. Um, Silicone World, that's sticking in my head as well. And I really like the uh, the last one, Hyperlink, as well. I thought I think it's um oh yeah I think sorry to cut you up but I actually think it's very um <laughs> very good um, quite shockingly I didn't expect to come away with that attitude at all yeah and you know listen back to it now I was shocked as well I was like wow it actually kind of really holds up yeah for especially now knowing they're a manufactured pop group that you know by design because of the way they worked at blisco but to be like oh this one's you know like catching a fish like oh this one's this one's going for it let's just quickly get yeah three of us yeah, together yeah. let's go let's go let's go let's go you know and they said like not that it was overnight but in a sense it was overnight they said they were playing they're playing uh you know on stage every single night um they're just living that life they said you've got to take that 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 flame was there that opportunity was there they just went for it 
yeah, like you said, living in a bubble. I think it's really good. It's got that classic '90s dance piano yeah. sound, very bright oh, sounding. Yeah. Um, it's got like the rap. It's a very Jamaican sounding yeah. rap, um, which I guess was a staple of like '90s. It was ni- early '90s pop. You'd always have a, a rap on on these songs, and they're maybe a bit more stereotypical um, than what we'd have now. I think they're way more established and say poss- possibly like credible now. You look at something like. Um, don't you by pussycat yeah. dolls which had a buster rhymes verse a lot more co- yeah. baby yeah. by justin bieber ludicrous maybe not the best move or like in terms of credibility for ludicrous but i mean he's probably made a lot of dollar from that fair enough but still a very i'd say a good rap verse um my clown on here is quite melancholy there's like yeah. two very sad kind of sounding songs right and um the lead singer jeffrey J likes george michael he said he likes george michael a lot and i feel like you can hear his george michael influence here with the melody um there's not as much auto-tune or harmonizer as i'd actually say of this track which makes it stand out from the others um and the chord progression is interesting it's refreshing for a pop song and it's something i actually miss in pop songs of today it's quite common when you look back at 90s pop songs you know they got a lot of information in there and they're actually a bit more complex than you think they would be. Um, it's the same when you go back and you listen to, oh, they've got real instruments. Wow, those drums sound great. You know, you just, you completely have a different uh, perception of it. The other melancholy moment was Now Is Forever, which I think was on one of the CKY videos when they went to Finland. Um, I remember that being on there, maybe years later, obviously. It's a great tune. It's got a good vibe. I would uh, put this song forward, Now Is Forever, as like a song that would change someone's opinion of them if they were like, oh, that's just the, the group who do yeah. blue, don't they? They do blue. And you go, well, listen to Now Is Forever. And they go, okay, a bit more substance to them, a bit more substance to them. Um, I counted how many songs started with the crash symbol whoosh effect yeah. because all of them start with like a... And they go into it. Six out of the 13. Wow, that's a lot. That's nearly half. And I associate that specific sound. Um, it's almost like a drop, isn't it? Yeah. Like an EDM drop that you have now with Eiffel 65. Every time I hear what's that, the, very Pavlovian. What's the noise? Just once more. Okay. And then it's usually like a... Dunt, 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 dunt. <laughs> Mez knows, Mez knows. Oh, so, yeah, kid. I think this album is very, very good. It sold incredibly well. It, it pushed them into like superstardom. Yep. Uh, they're a very big band in Italy. Um, they did release albums after this. They obviously didn't get a lot of fanfare after this um, thing. Music had, had kind of moved on quite a lot from that. I think the next album is called Contact. I did remember downloading a couple of their other songs from later albums. But by this point, like I said, a year after this, I'm listening to new metal and post-grunge and basically rock I don't music. know if you're aware, sorry to cut you up again, they released a song That's this right. year. Did they? What was it called? G-Nell Body. Literally this year, 2021. Wow, wow. I'll give that a listen then. Um, yes, so I like this album. I liked it when it came out. I still like it now. Um, I think also to there might be a reason why I did like it 
their imagery is very much about video games. Now they were playing a lot of video yes, games. Yes, I remember the video solid. now. Yes, the music videos are based on that. They're very animated. They have like a blue mascot. Um, very of their times. Very of their times. Very primitive. Now, I can see why that worked on me because something like, well, just the video games we were playing at the time. Um, it's like the Californication music video that was very, very, um, I think that was very, not smart, what's the word? That was very hip for the time. That was very up-to-date kind of uh, like crazy taxi vibes. So I can understand maybe from a visual standpoint why I got into them as much as it just being a catchy, throwaway kind of pop song. Um, but again, like me at 10 years old, I, I don't remember me putting any conscious effort into getting into music during that year. Um, especially, you know, from 10 to 11. But like as I transitioned into secondary school and like met new people and gained more awareness of myself and maybe the guilty pleasure came thing came through and wanting to be liked and getting a friendship group because, you know, you've lost, you might have lost a lot of your core friends from primary school into secondary school. Um, I did thankfully managed to keep you know some of my best friends now you know, the murphy brothers what up the murphy brothers um so yeah it was like you felt like an adult of sorts See, when you're in year six the last year of primary school you did feel like the you know the big boss you're like i'm i'm, I'm the head big of the fish school. i can do what i want to that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying um but then you go into secondary school and then you feel like the lowest rung on the ladder but you still but you are older so it's, it feels strange because you still haven't got that 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 uh, separation there from primary to secondary so close. You still have that weird like I am alpha dog, but I'm also low on the totem pole. It's a very strange, definitely a strange weird place to be in at 11 years old. I would I would agree. Don't, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, this? absolutely. Given that um, at our primary school, when you hit years five six, when we had assemblies, years below that I had to sit on the floor in the assembly hall. But when you were in year six, you're with the big lads. You're on the benches at the back, kid. You 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 don't even have to sing because you can hide behind someone while you're belting out pure Jesus bangers. You can crouch down, <laughs> pretend you're tying your shoe, and uh, little little hint for the lads: if you're ever playing heads down, thumbs up again, right? Make it so that your head is uh, like looking at the floor in between you and the desk. So if someone squeezes your thumbs, you can see their shoes. Just see their shoes. You've won, baby. <laughs> I used to cheat all the time. What a little cheater, eh? You're going to get banned from the sport of heads down. Ten-year-old Mez was rocking that Casper. <laughs> oh, mate. But yes, so I have never played that game. Maybe you should play it with me. Uh, lockdowns Maybe. Maybe. Not. Okay, maybe we are. Okay, well, yes. So you know this transformation that from from Eiffel sixty five to kind of you know Puddle of Mud, Lincoln Park, New Metal, Papa Roach, all these things. It wasn't a conscious effort, like I said. I didn't force anything. I just think it was the popular music being played on the radio and the, and MTV. So it was like pretty much placed in front of me. I had no choice but to consume it. And like we said, I would play video games and i put on albums and just from the pure um fact of when you're in the middle of a game and you don't want to pause and you don't want to go and like faff around with um you know because we're talking about cds at this point streaming didn't exist 
Um, that's, that's really weird to say. Streaming didn't exist. So putting on a CD and it's far away and you're in the middle of a game, even if you're playing with somebody else, you don't want to stop. So it just goes round and round. And again, that repetitive nature. And that's where those songs get consumed. Um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Banging soundtrack. That had Blood Brothers by Papa Roach. That further kind of uh, fueled this. What a game. Love for Papa Roach. What a game. What a soundtrack. Insane. And for the whole franchise. Insane. Um, insane. Exactly. Um, so yeah. Eiffel 65. I think that was already the, that, that's the start. That's the nucleus for me getting into bands properly, getting into loads of albums. Um, I really like, there's a lot of good songs on this. Um, I think it really does hold up as an album. Uh, the Maybe to pick a weird, the weirdest one or the, the, the worst one or the weakest offender or whatever, My Console. Now, I'm assuming you probably listened to My Console, yep. Les, because even if you can't remember, just by me mentioning it, you're going to go, oh, it's that song. It is literally just a list of PlayStation games. Yeah, that is that's the that's the whole lyrics, the whole lyrics. It's not even about like it's not describing what the games are. No. It's not saying you know Metal Gear Solid. It's got guns and stuff in it. It's just Metal Gear Solid Tekken Three Mega Boost. We're gonna live it. The game on the PlayStation. <laughs> that's the actual lyric. Do I think this album is bad? That's kind of like the mission statement of what we want to kind of want to do here anyway. The whole point is that we, you know, we, we, we like we said, find albums. Oh, they, they're meant to be the worst or these things you listen to. And we kind of disprove that. So can it be considered bad? Like, do we have such a strong connection tied to these albums about a time when we knew so little in life? And while the sounds conjure up great memories, like the enjoyment we get musically maybe pales in comparison when viewed as this, like musical experience. Because when I put this album on, the emotional memory I get is so vivid and of a certain time. I remember, I think, Dubbing Life came on and I instantly remembered playing Pokemon Blue. Instantly. It was that strong and it just distracted me. I'm just thinking of me being 10 years old. And, you know, 10 to 11 or 12 years old, you know, like all these great memories and, you know, maybe it kind of, you could maybe view it as like, I don't know, like it, it, it kind of also highlights where you are now in life, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it makes you think of all the times and the decisions that you maybe should have made. Maybe the opportunities that you missed, maybe the tough times you had growing up. So it kind of made me, you know, ponder my life choices now, you know, as a 31 year old man, there's still things I want to achieve in my career and in my personal life. And, you know, will I ever tick those things off my like life to do list? Um, where will my life take me? Will I like it where I will be in five, six, 10, 15 years? Will I sit there and be like, you know, listening to the uh, like turnover now and being like, oh, I remember them days doing that, doing the podcast. Now Merritt's gone. He's got his private jet. <laughs> He's an Iron Maiden. Can't believe it. I'm just sat here. Um, you know, not to try and make it sound all co- com- like comical on that, but just the uncertainties of not knowing what's ahead can be daunting. You know, change has just changed. But when you listen to albums like this, those memories are there. They don't have to change. That's a very big comfort safety blanket yeah. there. And it kind of keeps you in the past. Now, for me, I especially my music um, 
musical listening now i'm trying not to be in the past because a lot of my music was in the older 60s 70s 80s 90s and even early noughties but i just i'm trying to listen to as much new music as possible um because that's something i've neglected a lot and then going back and listening to Europop just that once just one time through it put me straight back into being 10 and past and past and not progressing and not moving forward and yeah some of those memories coming up of like wow like i wish i could have maybe i wish i could have come back to that time or am i going to enjoy the time i'm doing now am i enjoying life now and it was kind of a bit of an emotional list you know it kind of took it took its toll so to speak you know it wasn't just a breezy um a lot of tunes so my urge of wanting to listen to it again is very low i don't want to listen to this album again for a while um it kind of lives in the same category as albums I didn't like, I didn't want to hear again, uh, or like those kind of meh, averagey albums. So for that reason, I can view the album as bad, that I don't want to keep going back to my younger self, um, in essence. Does that make sense as a concept? And could you apply that to your status quo once specifically? Yes, it makes sense. In terms of applying it to me, see, status quo has never really left. Um, there have been periods of like a year where I haven't listened to them, but I always end up returning within a couple of months, if you see what I mean. So I, I like the fact that I've got these songs going with me as I go through life. Um, there are some that I don't want to hear, but not because of any sort of tied memory that, you know, I hate. I hate remembering it, and this song makes me remember it. I just didn't enjoy it that much. Yeah, no, the concept makes sense. I can understand that, because you're in a different spot now. You know, you say yourself, you're a 71-year-old man, and you you, you <laughs> remember dance hall and the big bebop, you know, explosion and jazz and everything, you know. But no... <laughs> all jokes aside that sweet that sweet taste of the first coca-cola bottle ever being made oh we called them sweetie pop sweetie pop pepperish farm remembers no i i i quite agree though i think the concept holds up and i understand exactly what you mean as i said there are some where it's just like oh no i i, I that's where i was at this point and what makes with my memory of status quo what makes it weird for me is remembering that no other band in the world existed, and it's more of a how could you be so stupid? Um, my my auntie, um, was he- has heavily been into Metallica for a long, long time. Um, loves them, absolutely loves them, even S and M, which we won't go into. But um, we've already discussed yeah. it. She, um, I remember getting in her car, and I can't remember what song, what album, no idea, but I went, what's this? She went, oh, it's Metallica. And I went, well, that's not status quo, it's crap. Those were my words. Wow, is that, your obsession with status quo was yeah, that deep? that I wasn't interested, not even hearing it. So, the, the memory I don't like of it is how closed off I was to everything else. However, I like it in a way that now I'm so much more wide in accepting of of music now um really weird one one that no one would ever pair with me i love princess nokia 
So take that home with you. I think she's great. Tomboy, what a stomper. My <laughs> God. Ooh. So good. So good. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't like the uh, the memory of everything else in the music world being closed off to me other than status quo. Overall, Europop is a positive emotional experience for me. I'm not saying that every time I listen to it, it's very negative and makes me sad. It just occurred to me that, you know, what my life was like around that time and what it is now. And you could view it as kind of, it kind of puts a little like peg, fork in the road, little peg and kind of just goes, this is where you were, like a map, you know, like a pin. Um, one anecdote that I remember from my friend Josh Timms, shout out to the Timms. He makes some banging tunes. So should definitely legend him up for some banging legend, tunes. rock and roll legend. legend. Is there Insta handle on the thing? He's, he's great. He's great. Uh, really good skateboard. Yeah, really, really, really good hill flips. That was his thing, banging hill flips. So he he told me about an experience when he was younger. Um, Revolver by the Beatles was playing on his parents' stereo. And here, there, and everywhere was like making its like dreamy clothes. And he pressed his ear up against the speaker, right? So he's got his ear right up against the speaker. Now, can you remember what track is next after here, there, and everywhere? I actually can the next track is Yellow Submarine. Oh. So, here and everywhere is quite in the soft days. and soft all the way through. <laughs> oh, it's in the town, but fair enough. Um, so, yes, Ringo Starr's voice is about to belt out hard with a, like an acoustic guitar, which is like fairly bright. And he was like, that scared me so much, so loud as a kid. He says, I can't listen to Yellow Submarine. I cannot listen wow. to it. Mez? You take it away. You take it away on your okay. uh, the last album you've got with us because it is an absolute banger, Ooh. I must say. It is a banger. And I think as well, this is an album that I don't think a lot of people are going to associate nope. you with because I didn't when you first told me. I was generally thinking you were messing around. There you go. So I can't tell you the birthday. I can't tell you the year. But one year, uh, an auntie of mine decided seeing as I just got a new CD player. It was one of those little ones that was round and bulky with the speakers attached. Yeah, yeah, with the handles. That's the one, yeah, that flipped up from the back and had a little aerial that never, ever bloody works, no matter what I did. (laughs) But that didn't matter. All of that will push to one side. I think it was birthday. It might have been Christmas. Can't exactly remember. Now, I do still have the physical copy of this somewhere, and I need to find it, and I need to frame it. So, this album, I'm going to I'm going to tease the listeners. It was released on the <laughs> 8th of August 2000 on MCA and Geffen. The runtime is 54 minutes and 9 seconds. Everybody, what I want you to do as you're listening, I want you to get in your head what you think this album's going to be. Okay, I'm going to give you the genres. They are reggae fusion and dancehall. But think think nice. more reggae fusion. And this is an absolutely banging album, chocked full of feel-good bangers. And it makes me happy even to this day. There is a mission statement in a lot of the songs, which is basically like, uh, don't don't worry too much. It's not all bad. Someone's someone's gonna love you. No, don't worry about it. It's all good, kid. Honestly. That's basically it. It was a particular evening. We were having some sort of party at home. Um, and instead of getting ready, I was listening to this album 
and playing Medieval on my PS1. Nice. So, listeners, I hope you uh, remember the album you think it is, because I'm going to shoot you all down and tell you you're all wrong. It is Hot Shot by Shaggy. Good yes. Lord. Now, <laughs> this is pre-status quo. This album is the only one that I remember having any interest in music. The obsessive stage came after, but I was never obsessed about this album. I just love listening to it. So, the singles, the first one is very obvious, and everyone knows what it is. What is it, Marv? I believe it's a smash hit. It wasn't me. Released on... My 11th birthday. Spot on, mate. Spot on. He's taken away a fact. How dare you? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got... It wasn't me. We've got Angel, which this is amazing. I don't know if you know this, Marv. Have you listened to Angel? Girl, you're my angel. I have indeed. Do you know what it samples, Marv? It no? samples Steve Miller's band, The Joker. Really? Go and listen to that song at some point. And think wow. about it. It's so obvious. I was like, good Lord, so it does. And we've got dance and shout slash hope. So, what do I think of this album? As I've said, I think it is absolutely banging. I think it holds up so well. It's 21 years old. I think it holds up so well. Um, But more so than anything, on re-listening, I was shocked at the amount of different instruments that appear on the album there's a tune which if any of you listeners have seen the film holes i think you have marv i read the book in secondary school never uh, okay the, film. the, the film's great go and watch it it's great um the, a song off this album keeping it real appears in that and this particular song in the same minute of music, we've got a sitar and then one of my favorite organ sounds of all time. It's literally like a like a little sitar accompaniment, and then you've got this lovely little da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like a little solo. It's so cool. It's so good. It's so good. Oh my good lord. Um it doesn't outstay its welcome, in my opinion, at just under an hour. I think it leaves not much to be desired, but it's definitely one where you want to listen to it again. Um, yeah, and I really, 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 really need to tell you about this. It was the second highest charting studio album of 2001 on the Billboard End Year Charts, and it was the best-selling album of 2001 in Canada. So... Pretty did pretty yeah, well. It didn't then, didn't do say. bad at all, really. Um this this what we were saying about songs earlier, the ones that do things to you in your brain. Nearly every song does this to me off this album. Where it's like, Do you remember that? That was fun, wasn't it? Very fleeting, very fleeting and quick. Good lord, what what can I say about this album? I just think it's fantastic. I really do. I'm really all for it. Um feel good tunes, real feel good tunes. Um, my favourite song? What do you think my favourite song off it is, Marv? I mean, I've heard you sing Why Me, Lord, quite <laughs> a lot uh, when we used to live together. So I would probably say it was uh, Why Me, Lord. But I mean, oh, like you said, I, I, rem- I remember, right, so my memory, 
I remember sitting in third year on our roof, drinking beers out in the sun, bumping this bumping this whole what album. And you knew every that that was why I was so gobsmacked. You knew every single word, and I was just like, "This is real. He's not joking. Yep. He actually loves this album yep. so much." I'm gonna go for "Why Me, Lord." I think that's your favorite. Uh, you you're correct. Yeah, it is. You're correct. There's like a my favorite thing about this. There's like a little mission statement. Now, isn't it amazing? Sometime, as soon as people reach in a reach in a bad situation, they start to call on God, and you should remember God in your everyday nuance, not just when it gets bad. And this whole song is basically talking about how in 1996 he was chilling on his couch watching watching a football game. His girlfriend walks in. Um. And she found lipstick on his shirt. He follows up by saying, I thought I could explain, but my story wouldn't stick. She found some pictures with him, with some other woman. Um, It had already happened and she was sick of it. And basically she was kicking him out. But he's feeling sorry for himself. He has brought this upon himself. But he's (laughs) feeling sorry for himself. I'm like, mate, now looking at it, I'm like, you suck. But now I'm like, eh. Then I was like, you know... Obviously, I didn't know necessarily what was going on. All I could hear was, why me, why me, Lord, why me, why me, Lord, why me, why me, Lord, why me. And then the, and then, and then the occasional, James, you bloody dinner's ready, get bloody gold playing that stupid medieval game. Why don't you get some oh, friends? likely, likely. Keeping it real is so so good and i'm gonna have to read because this is a real feel-good tune amazing um when i was young i used to dream of being rich have a lot of houses and cars wouldn't know which one is which finding me a chick and getting hitched living the fairy tale life perfect without a glitch you think that this would bring me happiness if at the end of every rainbow there was a treasure chest, sometimes having more is really less. So take a look inside yourself and realize you're really blessed. No matter how you're sad and blue, there's always someone who has it worse than you. Sometimes you've got to pay your dues, so don't worry, just push on through. And then we've got the chorus, which flows so well. Oh my God. Keeping it real. Got to big up all my peoples who be working on the future, though they know they got to struggle. To all my homies working on the nine to five and doing right just to keep themselves up out of trouble. Although sometimes I know it seems impossible, but there ain't no need in drowning in your sorrows. If things are as bad are bad as they can be, you could be sure there would be a brighter tomorrow. So, so positive. I love yeah. it so much. Um Yeah. And then we've got the the bridge, which is the last bit I'll read out. Okay. All the harsh realities appears to come in twos and threes. Don't worry, because there'd be a better day. One thing I can promise you, keep on keeping on. I swear to you, there's going to be a brighter day. I Yeah, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I think it stands up. I think it's got some actual real proper bangers on there. The Some of the sounds are a bit dated. I won't lie about that. But you can't have it all. And unfortunately, in recent years, despite the number one single, he has admitted that it was him. He did. He did eventually say. It was him. It was me, yeah. Yep. And do you know what? I respect him more for telling the truth. So that all adds up to positive light in my eyes. 
It only Shaggy. took him 20 years. <laughs> only took him 20 years. Shaggy, if you're about, come to Bristol. Let's have a coffee. I want to talk about keeping it real and why me, Lord. I, yeah, what a guy. What a guy. And I genuinely think, even now looking back, if someone listened to this album, they'd enjoy it. I genuinely think that. It's easy for me to say that because obviously I've got the nostalgic attachments. But I, yeah, really enjoy it. Really enjoy it. Even now, like I said, this week has been the first time since I've given it a listen in probably, probably maybe nearly 20 years. Wow. And No, that can't be right because that would make me seven. No, it must be. It must be right. Yeah. No, we're going to go with that. Yeah, well, I mean, when it came out, which was 2000, 2001... Yeah. And you were born in 1994. That would make me seven. That would make you seven. There you go. I nailed your age there for you. Is there an argument there to be had or an angle there to be had of maybe this being a bad album, quote unquote, as a child? I mean, I mean, there's plenty of lyrics in it that suggest that, you know, kind of sucks that I cheated on that person, but Never mind, tomorrow will be nicer. Um which isn't isn't the greatest thing. Um there's a song on here called Freaky Girl, mm-hmm. which um is a little bit suggestive. <laughs> is a little bit suggested. High high heels, gosh, you look sexy. I'd steal a touch if you let me. Um I'm just dying to kick it with you, girl. Hey boo, show me you're ready. Lips looking juicy like cherry. I can almost taste your flavor, girl. <laughs> oh, that sounds like I kissed a girl by Katy Perry. It does a little Kissing bit. The cherry it? chapstick. Maybe she'd li- maybe she'd heard. Maybe her um, first album was Hot Shot by Shaggy. Maybe, but it seems like you're the wrong type. Don't you ever get upset, girl? I'd like to see you sweat. If it feels like you're too uptight, girl, you're too conservative, and that ain't how I want to live. So as a seven-year-old Mez, is this just just flying over your head? Yeah, yeah, this is whoosh. I had no, put it this way, in primary school, there were two lads in the dictionary looking at the letter V. They got told off for looking for something. And I literally, this is not a lie, I literally had no idea what they were looking for. I bet you you went home, you went, Mum, what's volcano mean? (laughs) <laughs> and she went get upstairs now and play medieval now and listen to shaggy <laughs> not, not my not my best um merits mum impression but i had to oh we've got a we've got an interesting chorus handcuffs can you get freaky how far will you go to please me whips and chains girl are you down with that strange places searching for pleasure i want you to meet me wherever just wearing an overcoat and a hat <laughs> I feel that rounds it off nicely. Just wearing an overcoat and a hat. Where, where were you last night? Oh, I was looking in strange places for pleasure, wearing an overcoat and a hat. Can it be viewed as a bad album, as a childhood album? Maybe from the sexual lyrics I probably, of yeah, I probably shouldn't have had it that young, but I don't think it had any real adverse effect on me. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean. I'm very desensitized to a lot of things, but I don't think that's to do with this album, quite frankly, because mm. I wouldn't have had a clue what he was talking about. So, I mean, 
I suppose you could see it from that way of like, it's got, it wasn't me on there. Everybody knows it wasn't me. Everyone alive knows of that song. Um, and even, even there's a lyric in that that's like, um, she caught me banging on the bathroom floor. When I was younger, this is an absolute fact. When I was younger, I all I could see was Rick Rock and this random unnamed girl stood inside the bathroom, literally just knocking on the door. Because I thought he said door, not floor. Yeah. So that's what that's where my brain was at. Completely innocent. You're just like, Bit of a different what? story now, but still there like Right, he's just all he's saying is he's just knocking on the door. So why is why is why do you have to lie and say that wasn't you doing that? What's wrong about yeah. doing that? You I know? I didn't get it at all. Uh, well, maybe when I tell my my listen that my my future kids listen to this at seven or eight, just like old Uncle Mez, I'll just say yeah, they're knocking on my door. Don't you worry. Knocking on a door. Don't worry, old Murray <laughs> Junior. And to round it off, do you know what? Um, do you know any cover versions that Shaggy might have done in 1995 when he might have uh, he might have been at a, a work pub quiz and you might have gone, oh, you're right, doctor, you're right. Oh, he's asking for me, is he? <laughs> oh, can you just give him some meds or something? Oh, well, I've got you here, doctor. Um, oh no. What song did Shaggy cover in 1995? Oh, Mongo Jerry's in the summertime. Oh no. <sighs> he did in the summertime. So if you've not listened to that, Mez, I want you to listen to that because all I can think of is him. All I can think of, I don't want you to do it. All I can think of is you doing an impression of Shaggy singing in the summertime. And that's making me laugh a lot. Yeah, I'll have to go and listen to that, won't I? Yeah. Oh, an office quote to end a non-office quote podcast. Love that. I bloody love an office quote to end, don't I? He does. He does. If you're sick and tired of us doing office quotes, um, leave Shame. the podcast. Leave the podcast. Yeah. Never delete our numbers. Don't even talk about us ever again. We are cool. We know what we're doing. Rock yeah. and roll stars. I do believe we have to announce a new patron. We do, Mez. We have a new patron, and his name is Isn't it, is. Oh, it's Marcus Rudd. It's Marcus Rudd. Thank you, Marcus, Marcus Rudd. Marcus Rudd. Marcus Rudd. Marcus Rudd. I like that. I like that. Legend. Marcus Rudd. Legend. 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 Dear friend of ours from uni. Met him at uni, didn't we? Um, we he did. Actually, he took a year out, didn't he? So yes. he was technically a year above us. Yes. Um, so he kind of started with like a whole new uni group. But yeah. You're dear to us. We love you very much, kid. Thanks for becoming right. a patron. Thank you very, very much. It's very much appreciated. And I think he's starting from the beginning, isn't he, with the podcast? Yeah. No, he's listening to them all. I was like, well, you're delving deep, kiddo. You keep them earplugs <laughs> in. <laughs> Other earplugs or earphones are available. Um, but yes, if or you want speakers. to join Marcus or speakers, you know, different audio things for different audio stuff. Ears. Ears. So um, if you like us regurgitating 20-year-old sitcoms, while trying to make points, <laughs> please consider subscribing to our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash 50 ways podcast. That is five zero ways podcast. You get the full uncut episode a day early. You get to savor that in. You get to join in the old community that we're trying to build up now. 
comments you get to you know we're, we're asking for feedback opinions you know we want your suggestions um instagram facebook twitter 50 ways podcast go and all that just before we sign off i almost uh almost put this away forever i just want to shout out sam um i've known sam for quite a little while now sam pierce um we've been chatting over instagram he loves the podcast he really really appreciates what we do um and i just want to give him a little shout out because legend thanks for keep messaging me keep it up i i want to hear your opinions dude i want your suggestions so thank you very much for listening really appreciate that nice does he get a delay echoed um version of his name i'm gonna go off with one of my tunes yet again because i Here released my album released my album last friday it's doing pretty well been getting some good responses people seem to be liking it or at least they've been telling it to my face i don't care if they don't like it at all like please um i'm gonna go with the track palinoia um and the thing is with all my song names is that they have kind of cool meanings it just makes it look a bit more interesting you know um rather than my future dog um so <laughs> yes Mazza loves that hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next week then cheers then go on then boy mm-hmm.